We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. I'm incredibly excited to have fierce advocate and father Charles Moore on the podcast today. Listeners are in for a treat as you hear him share about his experiences and the journey he's been on with his 14-year-old son, Charles. We had a lengthy conversation and will release his story of strength through multiple episodes, and this is episode one. Thank you, Charles, for the time you set aside to make this podcast happen, and thank you, listeners, for joining our efforts today to provide education, awareness, conversation, and support for our community. Charles, I want to welcome you to We Saved You a Seat podcast. I am so excited to have you with us today, and I thought we might start out by, first of all, you really didn't know about Oklahoma Family Network until probably just a few months ago. So why don't you tell us how you learned about Oklahoma Family Network and kind of got to know what we do and how we do it? Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's been a long time coming, which a long time being like three weeks, but you know, it feels like an eternity whenever you trying to do something for the community. But yeah, I had no idea about Oklahoma Family Network or half of the things we have for the community out there until I um I'm in the Lynn program, Oklahoma Lynn program and from at, at at OU and it is amazing. Like I love the program. My classmates are awesome. Like and it's teaching me so much that like I appreciate the knowledge and wish I had it 13 years ago when my son was born. So yeah, I learned it through Lynn just from doing a few different projects. And and in one section we have to do a project per person and between going to uh, different sh- sh- shops, CF shops, various different projects. Came across the Oklahoma Family Network, read about it, learned about it, and and, and it was the best thing I've ever heard, to be honest. Like, it was, it was what I needed when I was going through all the processes with my son and which is something that I didn't have. So, yeah, thanks to Oklahoma land. I definitely learned about OFN and I'm glad I did because since I didn't have that stuff, my goal in, in, in life or one of my goals in life would be to spread the knowledge of what I've been through. So it's easier for people to transition or, or to go through the process. Cause we had, I had nobody when I went through my process and just the peer-to-peer, family-to-family thing would have even something so minor would have been great because I really didn't have friends like to talk to either. So anything would have been better than me sitting in the house doing with my own thoughts. So it was definitely <laughs> a great experience. <laughs> that that's a good point. That that something that feels like it's so small can have such a huge impact in your life. And so that peer-to-peer, family-to-family uh, connection, emotional connection is is definitely, I liked what you said, It'd been anything would have been better than stewing in my own thoughts. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so tell us about Lind. So I know that we we actually have never had a podcast about Lind or done anything education-wise on Lind. So why don't you tell us about Lind from a parent perspective? So for me, I, I I got into Lynn because 
I was nominated. So one part of the program, of course, is that they want to have a, a person with lived experience, a parent to be in the program. And I have a few friends, one that I went, we actually were athletic trainers in high school together. We, we go back that far. <laughs> I graduated in 2002, if that lets you know how long that was. Um, but And then I also had another lady that I met from the Little Lighthouse when Charles was in school. Well, come to find out, both of them were good friends or in communication and nominated me for the Lynn program. And I guess after being nominated, I, I didn't know what it was. They told me to look it up, send me a few things. I looked up a little website, read about it. And I was like, well, basically, it's just advocating for my son, like advocating for the community, like learning what to do. And which I already did. And that's how they pressure me into it. Um, they were like, Charles, you are, you do this every day. Just go take this class. They're going to teach you about it and you can do it even better. And I like to improve in any situations regarding Charles, like as much as possible. So long story short, I did it, looked into it and I liked it. Since I've joined the program, I've, I've like, it is, it's definitely more than what I thought when I signed up for it, but it more in the sense of that we have nurses, we have OTs, we have PTs, we have audiology specialists, like home health, like all, all different disciplines in life that I deal with with Charles on a regular basis, but I would never, uh, I guess as a parent, like put them together, like combine them and let them be like teammates. But besides OT and PT, I knew they would be because like we've been through, we've been in therapy for quite some years, but um, after being there, what I what I like about Lynn is that I get to see that side of it, like the behind the scenes of how PT thinks, why PT do this, how OT thinks, why does OT do this, which I've, I've talked to many of Charles's therapists, but some of it is more so of me being so focused on him. It was like, Charles, Charles, how do we all work together versus with the class is teaching me that we work together by working together, which it sounds crazy, but like in, in the program, it's pretty neat to see that when we have certain topics, you know, the, 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 like the parent or the, the advocate that's in the class will have to be called upon because some of the people will be like, um, it's just silent. Like, like if you're OT or PT, you, you, you can't answer some of the questions that's in the class, but you have to have that experience either live through it or been a therapist that's worked with somebody through it. And so it's like, since they're all younger and college kids, not all, but majority still going through school, they haven't had that. So being able to like teach them to a degree and let them know like, Hey, this is what we went through. And then it's another guy in my class. He's really cool too, Bryce. And he get to tell his story. So it's unique to hear the two different perspectives because Bryce is a self-advocate and I'm an advocate for Charles. So it's like, you're getting two different perspectives at the same time, like in the same class. So for me, the Lynn experience has been great. Like I, I, I really do truly enjoy getting to, to see the other side of it. And, and, and definitely I even like even more to be honest that I get to tell s stories about Charles that people be like, Oh man, that's crazy. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known what to do. And I was like, I didn't either. Yeah. So it's like, we both didn't know what to do. So like I'm, and and which they get to see, like okay, he made it out, and 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 my hope, my my biggest hope for them is, is that in their practice, they're able to use something that I've said, or at least reference it. Like you don't have to like 
like, I don't know, do a miracle with it, but at least have it back in my head. Oh, I, I've heard something similar to this, so I can reference to this. Or on the flip side, like, if they encounter somebody with Cornelia DeLange syndrome, which that's what my son has, I would hope that they're a little bit more comfortable with it and understand a little bit more about it because it's not, it's not, it's not a normal syndrome. So I, I hope they at least get that from me throughout this year long process. <laughs> I love it. No, I have no doubt that um, the professionals and, and the people with experience in, in helping those with disabilities walked away from your shared experience with some really good insight and knowledge. So I'm, I'm excited to, to meet some of those people in, in the future and how you've impacted them as well. So, um, okay. So with that said, you've already mentioned that you have a son with a rare uh, disorder. And so that's kind of why we're doing this podcast. And with that said, why don't you tell us a little bit about your family? In my household, you have Charles, which was like, the star of the show, like it, some of the world revolves around him half the time. He is 14 now. Um, he's my youngest. And then we have Zion, which is my daughter, firstborn. She is 16. Uh, she should be getting her driver's license here in the next week. So that's exciting. Uh, she's high school athlete. She's played softball. You've been playing softball for uh, eight, nine years, maybe somewhere around there. We do a lot of competitive, a lot of travel. She loves all that stuff. Uh, she just got introduced to wrestling last year. So that's been a new one. And she loves that too, which is kind of weird. My little sweet, nice kid just all of a sudden wanted to throw people. So anyway, which, hey, it's it's a great workout, so I'm I'm okay with it. And it's some good scholarships coming up for it, so I'm, I'm enjoying it as well. Um, then we have Kara. She has been – well, we and her have been together for uh, – since 2011. If that date's wrong, don't don't find me for it. Sorry. Um, but I'm pretty sure it's right. And she has – she's been there through a lot. She's been raising them kids since then. Like we've had ups and downs and turmoils that we had to deal with, which she is not their biological mother. I should say that. So we had a we had a lot of stuff to deal with, and we and we got through it, and and we and we just keep rolling. So basically, we we live in Owasso, Owasso, Oklahoma, um, and and basically that's it. Like between Zion and Charles, all our time is spent either at a softball field or at a wrestling match or at some therapy. And Charles gets daily home therapy. So Monday through Friday, ABA therapy comes. So like that's a daily thing. It's a very full schedule all the time. Let's say that at, at my household. But we manage it and we've and we've been getting getting through there for quite a while. So I can't even imagine with all the therapies that Charles has and then um travel softball and now wrestling. And I'm I'm sure your schedule is very, very, very busy. So uh, yeah. we have we have a family calendar where everybody can see it. So that's like anytime something come up, you have to go update this calendar. If not, like literally somebody will forget. Like it's it's crazy. But yeah. Thank God for even if it's, even if it's six months down the road, you'd better put it on that calendar. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh definitely. <laughs> I got stuff in there right now. I, I think two days ago I put one in for April, and I'm like, I'm putting this in right now because I will forget. <laughs> like, and I own that spot. I love it. 
Well, okay. So you mentioned that you have Charles and I know just because you and I have had a few conversations away from the podcast, but Charles was in the NICU. And so you said that Charles is now 14. And so, you know, I'm somehow going to try to figure out how we can put 14 years of conversation into (laughs) a couple of hours um, here. But I really want us to walk, I would love for you to walk us through what you remember of about his birth and the diagnosis. And just because I know that as families are either new to the world of disability, they're just like, oh, how how was I supposed to even know about this? And so I, I'm just curious if you can walk us through what you remember from 14 years ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's I'm glad we start here because ironically, when I would ask you, what do I even talk about? Like, my mind automatically went to let's start at the birth process. Like, because me and his mom at the time were like, we were, we was on good terms. If we are Zion, we already had Zion. So we've been through the normal birthing process. It was my first time. It wasn't hers, but so I got to learn part of like how the process works and then how it works with her body and her, because she has some stuff going on, like births for her wasn't just basically normal, normal. So just some little minor things. So, Going through Zions, I had a little bit of a baseline. And I was like, all right, this I know what to expect. I know what to do. And then Charles come knocking on the door, and it's a it's a whole new ball game. So we started with the normal doctor visits, like certain, and which again, I'm not a dates person, and don't kill me if these dates is not right. But when you when you start doing the um the ultrasounds, it's where I like what I remember because we would go in. Uh, Charles's ultrasound, the very first one, everybody excited, get to see if it's a boy, we get to take measurements, blah, blah, blah. So we go through it and it's, you know, let's check the legs, let's check the arms, let's check this. And and, and it's like, when we get to the arms, um, it would like disappear. So that you would, they would find the shoulder or whatever and go down and then it would just gradually disappear. And we did that for a while. Let's try to shake the belly or do this or do that. Try to get the child to move. Nothing works. So we was like, oh, it's fine. He's just laying on his arms, you know, something like that. So we did the head, which that was a little bit small, but not too concerning. Um, so the appointment was over. Hey, see y'all again in two weeks or whatever it was. Like, let's come back to try to, so we can finish this part to move on. So then we went back again and that part was not, like it was the same, like we couldn't find arms. Like it was pretty weird on both sides. It was the same pattern. Anyway, did it again two weeks later after that. But then that's when the doctor started got getting concerned. Well, for me, I was concerned after the second time because I was like, hold on. Like I know, I knew his mother. I knew what we did. Like I knew her activities. Cause they was like, well, maybe she don't move enough. And that's why the child hasn't turned or maybe this and all these scenarios that they kept throwing out were not valid for me. Like it was just them giving scenarios, but I'm like, no, I live this life. I, I know what she's doing. I'm, I'm there like type of deal. Well, finally they started having us come every week to take this ultrasound to try to find the arms again, which we would find legs. Everything else was fine. It was just, we couldn't track these arms down properly. And so coming back every week didn't change it then they start coming back every three days and i'm like what you mean every three days like something is weird like i i've 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 baselined this before this is not normal y'all gotta tell me something but they just really wouldn't speak too much we just can't find it we just can't find it and i i mean like 
whenever me and Jennifer were talking, we, I, was, I was prepared. Like, she was still very, oh, everything's fine. He's just laying on them. And I was like, everything's not fine. Let's figure out what's wrong. Let's take it a step further. And then we went to an appointment again, and they, I, not exactly what the term is, but they did a test where they took the chromosome. They stuck the needle in our stomach to get to see if all the chromosomes there, blah, blah, blah. So we did all that stuff, but we still was never seeing arms. So finally, one day, we go in for this ultrasound, thinking it's just going to be another ultrasound day, and it's taking forever. And normally, I don't have to work, but I remember that day specifically because I had to be back to work. And I was like, I only got a limited amount of time to go back to work. Well, it took forever. I'm irritated. And then they come back in. They was like, um, y'all have to go to the hospital right now, like emergency check-in. And I'm like, what? Like, no, I have to go back to work right now. Like, this can't be happening. It it happened. Um, basically, which we don't even know if we still don't know how this happened or where it happened, but the fluid from his sack was leaving. Like it was gone. It was almost not there. So they sent us to the hospital, said, Hey, y'all gonna you're gonna have a baby tonight. Like you have a baby in the next 24 hours, because without it, the kid won't survive. So it was like, all right. So we get there, check in, and I wanna say eight to ten hours later after we check in in the hospital, do their part and get all their vitals and et cetera, et cetera, get caught up on what's going on where we go to delivery for a C-section. And in that time, when we we go to the delivery thing, and like, this is my first time. I, I, I saw Zion be born. It was normal. It was different. It was just way different than this. But we in this surgical room and they have like this blanket or cloth up to where I myself can look on both sides and one side see face of Jennifer and the other side see belly. So I'm like getting both sides of the stuff. And the doctor was like, all right, this is where the blood is going to start. Like, you gonna, are you fine? Yeah, I'm good, man. Like, I'm, I'm prepared for this. Like, I, I, I love see This is like TV stuff. So I'm excited to see it. And so they get to cutting and doing this suction and blah, blah, blah. And then they finally get to where Charles come out and they pull him out. And I'm, I'm like in shock to a degree, but like not. But Jennifer's like, what's going on, Charles? Your face changed. What's wrong? Like, is everything okay? And and I'm just thinking in my head, like, what do I say to her? Like, this whole time, she's been like, everything's fine. And I know something not, but like, how do I say I was right without being rude, like, in this operating room? So I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, I said, I, I can remember, I said something right before. I think I said, um, or something, like, whatever. Anyway, but I was said. He don't have arms. <laughs> like that was after I thought about it now, like down the road, I'm like, bro, you picked the worst thing to say. Like the first words about him kid was he doesn't have arms, which even in saying that wasn't the truth. It's just that he didn't because he has arms, it's just not completed. So like even it's like, I don't know, thinking back on it, I picked probably the worst thing I could have said. Um, she panicked slightly and wanted more. She's a detailed person. So I literally had to explain, like, hey. Left arm is normal, don't have a hand, got like digits, blah, blah, blah. Like, right, I, I literally had to explain details because they wouldn't even just let her see him because they had to take care of him. And I'm sure the doctors were shocked themselves to see this child that doesn't have fully developed arms. But um, after that, it was like off to the NICU. And um, once we got there, they checked us in, you know, passed Jennifer up there, they put us in the room, all that good stuff. And the process of feeding started. And Charles wasn't about 
that life. He was not about a bottle. He didn't want a nipple. He didn't want breast milk. He didn't want, it was the craziest thing. Like we tried over and over and over. And this was the first, besides looking at him and saying, okay, we visually know something's wrong. Like this was the first thing that, that, that bothered me that I think should have been normal. Like, so like for my daughter, she ate immediately. Like it came out, cleaned her up, uh, gave her a nipple with some milk in it and bloom. She was eating. And for him, like he just, he, he was not putting it together. He wouldn't even open his mouth at first. And it took probably a week before they got him just to even open his mouth. And then once that happened, I think that was the worst thing to happen that his mouth opened because then when he would try to eat, because he was connected to all, you know, the alarms and all that stuff, and his stats would go haywire, like oxygen would drop, and then this. I'm like, bro, what? Like, I'm I'm new to this. Like, I don't know what to do with this child. Like, so I'm still learning. But I'm like, why does this happen every time we try to feed him? Like, are y'all feeding him some bad milk? Like, everything went through my head. Like, I could, I, I probably couldn't even remember him now. But it was just the wheels. My wheels stayed turning this whole. The first six months of his life, to be honest, like my wheels never stopped turning until I was calm and with the situation. But so we tried feeding. That didn't work. We did. And they wouldn't really let us um, hold them too often or too much, which that was kind of weird, too, to me, because with my daughter, I got to hold her as much as I wanted to. She was in the room chilling like she was laying with me. And for him, it was different. So I had to. that was an adjustment for me. It was probably, I, I want to say it was at least two weeks before and to, in two weeks in this process where the doctor suggested that he get um, like a G-tube. And of course, me not knowing none of that, what that was, and his mama didn't either. So we had to get educated on what was the purpose of that, like why he would have to have it, how we have to use it, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we did, we, of course, we agreed to it because he had to, he had to feed him the little the IV nutrients wasn't going to last forever. So very early on, he had a surgery to get a Mickey button. And I actually had a, a G tube. We did the GJ tube first. That was the first tube they ever gave him was the GJ tube. And he had a little hernia. He had a testicle that didn't drop. So they fixed all that stuff the first time all at once. And even feeding them through the tube didn't go well. <laughs> like, Come to find out, like, it's just part of uh, CDLS is that they have horrible GI issues sometimes, and that's one of the major cards we were dealt. So we would give him, I'm not even sure if it was what formula it was, but whatever was the basic house hospital formula, they would feed him that, and within minutes, I would say, you, you would feed it to him through the pump at a super slow rate, and five minutes in, it's coming out of his nose, or he's gagging uncontrollably, or it was, it was crazy. Like you, it was, it when it was, and it was constant. It wasn't just one time. I was like, oh, well, maybe his stomach got to get used to it. And 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 in, in saying this, none of the doctors knew that he had CDLS at this time. Like there was no, your child has this. It was, we don't know what's going on. We're gonna look into it. We have one doctor who might possibly know. But we just learning as you learn. So I was like, okay, cool. That's comforting to know. But it was good. At least they was willing to learn. So I, I was glad that happened too. But um, he would, he, we went through that process with the pump. It got to the point to where it was so slow. Like I want to say maybe 
like seven meals per hour and he was still having complications to where they was like, all right, something else is wrong. So then we ended up switching formulas. I want to say like three times. And then we ended up on this, of course, the last formula, which is the most expensive formula, which is like the cure all formula. I'm like, bro, like, of course, 130 something bucks a can formula. And I'm like, oh my goodness, um, this is what it takes for you to be okay. And, and really, and literally, that's what it was. As soon as we got on that formula, um, it it he he held it down, and which that was a major success for us, was he was just holding stuff down. But because during this process, he had he was retching and stuff so much. I guess he learned how to do that to a degree as well. And we had to have a fundo placation because it was coming up just so bad. They were like, if we don't do something about this his esophagus will be ruined, like super ruined. And I'm like, hey, okay. Another thing we had to learn at that time, what is a fundoplication? What is the purpose? Blah, blah, blah. So we went through that process and um, it went good. We had we had the fundoplication surgery that went good. We, we learned what formula to give them. So that was good. Um, I think I want to say we were in, but Charles was born eight weeks early. And I want to say we spent those other eight weeks in the hospital after he was born, if I'm not mistaken. And um, in that time, like we, between me and Jennifer, like we both worked. So we had to figure out how to be there as well. Like actually, because we couldn't just leave him there. It was some parents, like some of the other kids in the other room, when we would get there, it would be like, no parent. I'm like, what are they parents at? Oh, they don't come until after they get off work. And I'm like, what? Like, they, somebody not here at all the time like to me that was a shock like I, I didn't I guess I didn't expect that because I really didn't understand what was going on like I'm trying to figure out my own stuff but not realizing these are two parents that have a child that's sick too but they work the same schedule we work opposite like I work days she work nights but like these are two parents that work the day shift that probably are the kids that they haven't it's I don't know it it it, it made me realize that, okay, it could be worse already. Like, we just now starting this process, and I'm like, okay, it could be worse. Take it for what it is. So I would go and be there during the nighttime. I got off at 5. I would be there probably about, like, 6, do the night shift, the whole – whatever they needed me to do, I would do it. When I would leave to go to work, then Jennifer would come, and she would do the day shift. And that's how we did it the whole time. Like, I, I – course after she was released and everything but that's what we did the entire time and in that process waiting to learn what syndrome my son had or what i can't say syndrome at that point what can what was wrong with him what condition he had we waited for that too and that was an experience in itself but it was it wasn't a horrible experience that i thought it would be like sitting there every day and having to bathe and eat and figure all that stuff out. And the nurses was great at that time. I don't know. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it was that, that part of the NICU was good. And then the end, our NICU stay was pretty fun to me because our main doctor, when Charles was born, they had the surgery. I probably seen that guy twice. And it was once that day, when he said, we're going to try to figure out what's going on. I think I might know. And I said, okay, cool. Well, then, like, maybe it was 30 days later where he started seeing him again. And he said, I got somebody who I think know. We, we have an idea. I don't want to tell you yet in case I'm wrong. But 
I'm gonna have somebody come look at him, and when they come, like he'll be able to confirm if this is right or wrong. And so I'm thinking, like, oh yeah, he gonna come, somebody gonna come tomorrow. Like we're gonna be out of here quick. Like so I'm, and this is of course me not asking questions, not knowing nothing about nothing at the time, and we we wait for a week go by, and I'm I remember when they asked the nurse, I'm like, nurse, it's been a week, and I ain't seen this other doctor, and. I like to know what's wrong with my son because literally when you sit there in the hospital room and watch the little hospital TV and it's just like, it's nothing on there. And then you get to the little baby channel and they talk about how to do this with your kid and how to do that. Like I started skipping that channel after a while. Cause I'm like, my child, my second child does not do these things. Like I don't want to hear about this anymore. But then we, I'm sitting there and week two go by nothing. Week three, nothing. And I remember it was around the 60 day mark where I'm in the room and the door opens and this man come in, white coat, older gentleman, old white, older, older white man. Like he was like, old, like I'm assuming seventies, eighties old. Like he was, he was old and he walked in, he said, hello. And he walked over to Charles and looked at him and he said, Oh yeah. He has Cornelia D. Lang syndrome and walked out. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. I promise we will continue this conversation in our next episode. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to bring awareness, conversation, and education to our community.